an unsaved man, Mark Twain, and the way he says this, but it's interesting how he says it. And he talks about faith. And he says, I admire the serene assurance of those who have religious faith. It is, a, it is wonderful to observe the calm confidence of a Christian with four aces. Now think about that. Remember we talked about people notice what they see? Most of life is not talked about. It's lived. It's lived. And I, I think that we, for some reason, we have gotten into this place here where we talk more than we live. Less talk, more living. Really makes a huge difference. And people see it. They really do. We come now to the end of our series on uh, love. There's actually a lot more that we could talk about in this. Uh, I really felt led. Now is a time to tie it out. We're going to go into another series on the other side of Pastor Dave speaking in a couple of weeks. Um, And so uh, I wanted to highlight five things. You know, when you watch the, uh, I don't know, some of you ladies have not watched the ESPN Sports Center. I haven't watched in a long time, but they used to have um, at the end of the day all of the highlights, right? The great highlights uh, for today in the sports world. And um, you could think about that as you think about the highlights and the things that really are important to emphasize concerning agape love. And as I I thought about these, I I was really... um, thinking, well, what are the things that you would really want people to, to really remember? And I was led to, fo- to really focus in on these five things. And so you want to look at, first of all, what love is. And I think that that's really important because a lot of people don't know that. And a lot of what is seen as love in our American society is not love at all. Well, it's love of a sort, but it's not agape love. And then who is the source of love? The source of love is not us. Love does not derive from you and I. We don't in our own human nature have the ability to direct agape love. It's not who we are. It comes as a result of Christ indwelling us. And as a result of Christ indwelling ministry, as we allow the Holy Spirit to do so, he can provide agape love for us. Then you see that we want to see that love is to be directed toward believers. Now this is huge. Because why? The world continues and in the church continues to agree with the world that you're supposed to love everybody. If you try to love everybody, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. You're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. That is not, and you will not find in the Bible anywhere, I defy you to show me one verse where it says that you're supposed to love everybody. Show me one verse in context where you're supposed to love everybody. And you won't find it. I don't care how many times someone says something that not, that's not true. Saying it with uh, conviction or saying it numerous times don't make it any more true. It's funny, when the Lord was in the upper room, one of the things that he says, and I guess these people who believe that he's um, doing everything for the world, he did, and he gave the world what they needed. They needed the Savior. What more can he do? What did he say in the upper room? I pray not for the world. (gasps) Isn't that blasphemous? It would be for those people who believe that everything he's doing, he's doing for the world. Do you know that what the Lord is doing today, that his focus is on the saints? There's going to come a time when he's going to deal with the world, but they're not going to like how he deals with them. The other thing is that love is not dependent upon the response of the one loved. This is another fallacy. You've heard it say that marriage... Is is a fifty-fifty, right? Well, not in a believing marriage. Any kind of love, and you'll see it. And we talked about it with relationship to the Apostle Paul in the Corinthian church. Paul was constantly giving love to the Corinthian church, but they weren't giving it back. 
Love is not predicated on the person that you're loving responding. So many people are dialed in today and they're focused on the fact that if I give love to someone, that they have to give it back. And if they don't give it back, I'm just going to take my chips and go home. Well, that's not love. Well, it's just okay. So if you say that, then you ask yourself the question, what if God did the same thing to you? There's a lot of people that are not going to respond to the love of God. Do you realize that? There is this place called hell. And why is it there? Because there's a lot of people who are not going to respond. Didn't stop him from giving the world what they needed. And then the last thing that we'll see is that there is a deliberateness to love. Most believers are just floating through life. They're giving no consideration to anything but themselves. They think about themselves. They're not watching what's going on with people. They're not listening to what people are telling them. Do you know if you listen to people, they'll tell you everything that's going on with them? Believers not paying any attention to any of these things. They're not giving consideration to what's happening with other saints. All they think about is little old me. Well, I have enough problems for my own. Well, I really think a lot of the people have problems for themselves because they're so absorbed with themselves. I really believe that. I think that is why you have so many loony people today. They're absorbed with themselves. And they cannot think about anybody outside of themselves. And so we'll look at these five things because I really am led to focus on these five things. Not to say that they're the most important, but there are five of the things that I think that we really need to take another look at because they're really important in understanding this issue of love. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to look at these things and grateful as believers that there's the opportunity to uh, be able to direct agape love um, among the saints. And how important it is, as we saw your son gave the, give the new commandment, that a new kind of commandment that he gave, that we love one another. And by this thing, this loving of one another, all men would be able to see who we are, that we were your disciples, particularly with the disciples of the Lord, that it becomes obvious to see. Did the world see something different? when they see how believers love each other. We're thankful, Father, for that potential. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so you see this, and we talked about it, the, uh, the different kinds of love that there are expressed. And, and we talked about the fact of, so there's four different loves that are talked about uh, um, in Greek and classical Greek. You don't see this one in the, the Bible, but I, you do see it in the world. And the first one, as you recall, that we talked about uh, that was a love was uh, eros. Now, I think this is a predominant kind of love in the world. And it's, the, um, it, it's actually sexual love. And it, and it creates an emotion. And so it's used, uh, the, the god of, it was, uh, in classical Greek, it's used of the god of love. It is used to, of the uh, urge to, of self-preservation and sexual pleasure. Um, and so, you know, the little um, chubby little carrot, uh, cherub, right, that they show at uh, Valentine's Day with the little arrow. Well, do you know that that comes out of classical Greek? And the belief was that this little cherub, this little chubby cherub, was a little god of love. And he takes that arrow and he just flicks it at someone and stabs you in the heart and you're overtaken by emotion. And why that helps you to be able to know, oh, it was love at first sight. <laughs> I like to say it's probably lust at first sight. <laughs> it's what it is. And that kind of love is irrational. It's irrational and unsustainable. 
there was a guy who was dating a woman just a few weeks ago, and I, we had the chance, and I told you we were in a restaurant downtown. And uh, I had seen this woman in the restaurant, so when I saw that picture, it looked familiar. And they were doing a memorial service for her. She had died. You know why she died? She was dating some guy who came into the restaurant, um, and they had been dating for three or four months. And uh, I guess she wanted to break up with him. Well, he didn't want to break up, and he killed her. You see, this is nothing but emotional love. What does someone say? I'll love you to death. <laughs> this is irrational, emotional kind of love. And it's, I think it's one of the products of what happens when you get into physical relationships with a person outside of marriage. And this is all the world knows. This is the only kind of love that they understand or can understand as far as uh, with someone of the opposite sex. And so then we talked about storge. Now, this, <clears throat> these other three loves are used in Scripture, and we can identify these in Scripture. And storge is a love that is, uh, is a love for, for one, one's own family members. And so there's a natural affection you have for people in your own family, for your mother, your father, your brother, or your sister. And so that's a natural affection that is inherently there. You don't have to conjure that up. Sometimes you might ask yourself, why do I have this? Because you don't want to have it, but it's there. Now, one of the things, and you see it in Romans 1.31, um, that... <clears throat> back at the Tower of Babel, and Paul uses it in Second uh, Timothy three, that one of the one of the signs that something is going awry is that when you see people who don't have a natural affection for people in their own family, this is unnatural. And when you see people who don't have a natural affection for their mother or their father. And you're seeing it more and more. You just say, yikes, this is craziness. This is abnormal. And so notice in Romans chapter 1 and verse, <clears throat> excuse me, 31. We're going to be talking about this, Lord willing, <clears throat> this weekend, weekend about unrighteousness. <clears throat> and so what do you, things you find about unrighteousness, do you realize that unrighteousness is bigger than sin? A lot of people don't understand that. But unrighteousness is really the bigger term. And look at the kind of unrighteousness you see in Scripture. Uh, notice here in verse 28. And it, Now, I believe this goes back to the Tower of Babel. And this is what was happening at the Tower of Babel. There was a time, and you see in the context, men knew God and they glorified him not as God. And so he talks about the kind of behavior that they were engaging in. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do the things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Now, I would put a colon here because what he's going to explain is the kind of unrighteousness they were engaging in. And he's going to give a long, dirty list of unrighteous behavior, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of all envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperings, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters. Can I stop here in this list and may I say there is a lot of people out in the world that think they're on the cutting edge of something new in their rebellion and I would like to go out and tell them, oh, no, no, this is not new. I see you here, you're right here. You're listed. Nothing new. Right? Uh, and so notice, covetous, malicious, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. That word disobedient to parents is actually, it's the word storge with an alpha prerivative in front of it. It's that they don't have a natural affection for their own parents. 
They, there's, there's something has gone wrong in which there is not a natural affection for people or their own parents. Or I would even t- explain it this further than that, people in their own family. And so it's mostly used in the negative, but it has this ideal of a, an affection that you have for people who are born into your own family. It is abnormal to see a woman have a baby and to take that baby and put it in a garbage can without natural affection. And so then you have the word phileo as the use of fondness. And so phileo, and I would give it this definition, it is a care that can exude an emotional response for people, places, or things, and is sometimes exemplified by a kiss. And so there's a natural feeling that you have for people. They may not be in your family. Uh, they may not be uh, anyone. It, it's, a, it's just a kindness that is there. You like them. Right? You see if somebody is a friend of yours, and you like them. I, uh, a friend of mine from college, we didn't get a chance to see him uh, this time, but last year uh, we saw him and we had lunch with him when we went there. It was good to see him. I, I, I was happy to see him. I gave him a hug. It's just there are people that you like, but that don't mean you love them. Right? So now when we talk about love, and one of the things, and, and so when we get to the agape part of it, and we talked about this, there is the idea when, I, when you say to people that you're not supposed to love the world, the first thing they say, well, what are you supposed to do, hate them? Well, is that the only emotion you have? Do you know that there's other things that you can do to unsaved people outside of agape love? Hold your finger here. Just, I just want to say it while it's on my mind. And turn back to Titus chapter 3. Just because the scripture doesn't say that you should agape love the unsafe man, it doesn't mean you should treat him with contempt. That is not what it's saying. And you would think that that would go without saying, but let's say it because there are some people who will say, that preacher over there is teaching you should, you should hate unsafe people. Well, so that we won't have that happen, it'll probably happen anyway, but we'll put it on the record that that is not what we're saying. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and to powers and to obey magistrates and to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawler. You're not this word, uh, machias. Always, you got some people, all they want to do is fight. They're just ready for a fight. And, uh, you know, Concerning believers toward the unbeliever, I mean, that's all, I mean, we could be into that. It's really an anarthrous form there, and the ideal of, of not being ready to fight unsaved people at every turn. To be, but to be gentle. That word uh, gentle is actually forbearing. Showing all meekness to all men. You see, there's other things other than agape love that affects my relationship with unsaved people. Agape love is special. And it's supposed to be used toward the saints. And so back in, uh, we were looking at the idea of phileo, of a fondness for believers. And so notice um, um, in John 15 and verse 19... Now notice the Lord in the upper room discourse. And remember, in 13 through 17, Judas has left the room. He's already betrayed the Lord. The Lord starts talking about things that are going to happen in the future. And the only people that are in the room are believers. And notice one of the things that he says in the upper room. He says in verse 17, These things I command you that you love one another. Notice Judas is not there. 
He's not there. Verse 18. If the world or since the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, this is really becoming more pronounced because at some point, the, the believers in the world are going to collide no matter how much you try to avoid it. And I, I'm hearing a lot this week with this thing of abortion. And I've heard on several occasions as I've read different stories, people say, well, these fundamental Christians, they're the ones that believe this. Right? And there's a hatred they have for believers. It's a hatred that they have. And notice in verse 19, if you were of the world, uh, if you were out from the world, this is what is called a second class condition. So, so assuming for the sake of argument you were out from the world, but you're not. He's talking to believers here in the upper room. Remember, Judas is going out of the room, and the only disciples that are left are all that are believers. He says, assuming you were out from the world, and you're not, if you were, the world would be fond of its own. <coughs> you see, the world can have a fondness. But who are they fond of? Those that belong to the world. They have a fondness. And you're not a part of it, generally speaking. Oh, yeah. No question. But because you are not out of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, this word for hate, missio, and I heard Don was talking about it last week. It's not something that they will show outwardly. It's the kind that they say, Hey, how you doing today? And as you turn to walk away, yeah, well, watch out for the dagger. And they just unload on you. That low-life low so-and-so, you know, this kind of thing. And so there's this fondness, and then the most important one is agape. And so agape love um, is the focus, and it's a love that is self-sacrificing. And I, that's what I would give that if you had one word to give agape love, a one word, a pithy definition is self-sacrificial love. That means you are sacrificing what you want and what you desire for the person that you are giving love to. So that means anything that I would want in a situation, I'm putting that to the back burner. Anything that I would want to say in a situation, I'm not saying that. Anything that I would want to do in a situation, no, I'm not doing that. Why? Because it's giving the person what they need. And that person is directly in focus. The one that you're loving is directly in focus of, what that, uh, of that love. Now, let me give you an illustration. And I want, to sh- want you to know it's not just always physical things. But here's an illustration in 1 John chapter 3 of agape love. And he tells you that here's a perception of what it looks like. Now, no, in this situation, it's laying down things. But notice the word that he uses here. And I think it's more inclusive of more than just things. He actually uses the, the articulate form of the word sukas. And so it's the things that, I, that are important to me. The things that are important to this life. Right? So notice he says it in verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love from God. That word of, I would translate as from God. Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Notice he doesn't say everybody. How many times have you heard personally people say that you should love everybody? How many times? If I, if I had you to count, you probably would run out of uh, paper. It's, it's the hue and cry across Christianity. Most of you Christians are the ones that are saying this. I wonder why the Lord didn't say everybody here. He had the opportunity to. I wonder why he didn't say that. And notice, 
verse 17, he gives this illustration. But whosoever has this world's good and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So you see something that someone needs. Now, I think it goes beyond physical possessions. It's whatever they need. Some believers need some exhortation. And we're going to see this when we get to 1 Corinthians. Paul is talking to the Corinthians. The more I love you, the less I be loved by you. What did he do? He gave them exactly what they needed. And what was the response? Did the Corinthians say, oh, Brother Paul, you are really showing love toward us. No. They actually had dis- they despised him. And so notice, you shut up your bowels of compassion. How dwelleth the love of God? Notice what he says here, verse 18. My little children, let us not love. See, agape love is not based upon you talking about it. Let's not love and word are in a tongue. Don't verbalize it. Don't give a discourse about how much you love somebody. Yeah, I was just thinking I saw your condition there and I was thinking that uh, possibly I should be able to help you at some uh, appointed date in the future. And I was wondering, I mean, I could see that what you're going through is really a horrible thing and, and I'm thinking about it. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Doesn't do anything. Let us not love in word or in tongue but in deed and in truth. And so that's where you see agape love. Now notice, God is the source of that love. Notice in verse uh, 7 of chapter 4. First John 4. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love. Now notice he's going to give another thing here. One another. And that you have a pronoun there, and that one another is that you have a group of people, and in that group of people, imagine you have any group of people, and in that group of people, you're doing something among that same group. This group that is identified here are believe as believers. And you love one another. Let us love one another. For love is, see that word of? I would translate that and and, and would translate it this way. Love is out from God as to source. No human being has the ability on your own to love or to self-sacrifice in the way that God desires for you and I to do it. If we try to do it on our own strength, it fails. Just think about what we're asking here. That agape love means I'm setting aside everything that is important to me. Can you do it? On your own strength? I doubt it. Maybe once. Maybe twice. But not consistently. Love is out from God. And notice, and everyone that loves is born out from God. Here's how you can actually know. Here's one of the signs of knowing that somebody's a true believer. is when you see that they have the ability to love other saints. You know why? Because the unsaved man can't do it. He doesn't have the ability to set down everything that is important to him to give someone else what they need. And I'm always amazed by these Hollywood actors and actresses because they think they're so sanctimonious. And they tell you all the good works they're doing. Well, I've got this foundation, and why well, it's for to help the children. And, and uh, yeah, I've donated so much money to it. And, and they just come across so sanctimonious. They're so full of themselves. And really, agape love is not that at all. I'm not getting any credit for what I do. In fact, someone may not ever know what I did.
Now notice, he that loveth not, verse 8, knoweth not God, for God, as to his character and quality, is love. Now God is not just one big ball of love. He's not just sitting up in heaven, and his love is not, for God so loved the world, John 3.16, that he just... That's not why it's raining and he's just sitting there crying total tears and dropping it down because love is actually, it's not an emotional language in, in a, a word in and of itself. It's totally dedicated to giving people what they need. What they need. And we'll find that as you give people what they need, they don't always like it. They don't always like it. And so notice, uh, God, and so the believer can manifest his love because the Son is indwelling us. And then the Holy Spirit fills up what's lacking of this love when we're in the right relationship with the Holy Spirit. And let's just look at Romans 15. You'll see this with relationship to the Holy Spirit. That they're going to show this love as it's connected to the Holy Spirit. Romans 15 and verse 30. Now I beseech you, in verse 30, brethren, for the Lord Jesus' sake and for the love, and I would say here, uh, which is through the instrumentality of the Spirit, that the Spirit is the one that is able to direct this love through the individual believer. I cannot love you in the way that I need to love unless I am spiritual. That I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to fill me. The love comes as a result of Christ indwelling us. The Holy Spirit is the one that produces it. And as I said, there was a commercial back home that used to be uh, playing when I was a kid. That it was called Dre Beck and Hill. And I'll never forget it. They had just a nice little jingle. And it kind of went like often imitated, but never duplicated. Dre Beck and Hill. I don't even know what they were selling. But I remember that. Yeah, I remember that too. Do you know that people can imitate agape love? But do you realize, unless you're filled by the Spirit, you can never really produce it? Really, what a lot of people are imitating, and you see it in the church, the church is full of a lot of backslapping, just phileo. What I see in a, and have seen in a lot of churches is a lot of phileo. Nothing wrong with that. But there's a little bit more to it than that. And it's agape love. And how does that play out? Well, people will say and do things to you that you may not like. And why would I respond when people say and do things to me that I don't like? Because it's not what I want. So I'm going to show them. You know, something like that. Nobody here does that. I'm, I'm talking about these people on the other outside there. I know that none of you get folks. I'm just, just as an illustration here. Love is to be directed toward believers. And so you see this in three different ways. Look at 1 Peter 1.22. He uses the word brethren. Brethren. 1 Peter 1.22. Now notice in... um, in 1 Peter 1.22, seeing that you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth. Now, this is interesting, and we won't get into it, but you can go back later on in chapter 2. He tells you how to purify your souls. The soul, because it's not saved, can, it can be unwielding, and your emotions can overwhelm you, and they can, they can get the better of you. And I, and I really think that this is an element that stops believers from actually directing agape love. And so he says, sin if you've purified your souls by obedience to the truth through the, uh, through the spirit, unto, it's that word unfeigned, is an unhypocritical love for who? The brethren. Now I wonder why he didn't say the unsaved. We've heard that so much. You turn on TV, even to Christian TV, Christian radio, and they're telling you, all of them are telling you, love everybody. 
Why does he say brethren here? He could have said everybody. Why does he not say everybody? And But notice, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Notice you see again, this love is directed toward the saints. Look at Philemon 1.5. Philemon is after Titus. One of those books that we really don't go to a lot, right? But it's, I tell you, read that little book and you'll find out it packs a wallop. And remember this guy Philemon was a rich guy that was a friend of Paul's. And we know that he was rich from the context here. Uh, and, but he was totally absorbed in helping the saints. Helping the saints. See, you don't have to be rich and be totally aloof from everybody. You can actually have money and means and use that money and means for God's purposes. And so this is what was happening with Philemon. In verse 4, Paul says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and thy faith. Now, I can immediately know that this guy is spirit-filled. Why? Why do I say that? Because two things are mentioned here that you don't actually show forth if the Holy Spirit doesn't produce it, according to Galatians 5.22. Love, faith. Two parts of the fruit of the Spirit. Your love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice who else does, does he see showing this forth toward? Saints. And toward all the saints. I wonder why he doesn't say everybody. I wonder why he doesn't say the whole world. You say, okay, Kevin, you're overplaying this. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I hear it all the time. And if I don't drive anything else into your minds, but that you remember from Scripture, love is to be directed toward the saints. Notice again, this use of one another. Now, again, this one another is, indicates a group of people who share a commonality. And so it's a group of people that share a, something in common. You have something in common. Now, and we've been studying in 2 Corinthians uh, that we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Don't. I've ta- had the, the um, opportunity to, and we do a lot of marital counseling, so over the last 23 years we've done a lot of it. And I remember, and, and I should never forget, uh, one person that wanted us to marry them, and I didn't know who the person was. And they were in such a rush to get married, and they just couldn't wait. And so we just, I said, no, 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 we're going to go through these classes. Oh, no, 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 we want to go ahead and get married. They started, and they went through one class. They went through two classes. I think they made it through two. But they went ahead and had somebody else marry them. Why? I will never consciously marry someone to someone who is unsaved. You're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble if you marry someone unsaved. You're going to find what hell on earth is like. You marry someone who's unsaved and you're going to live to regret it. And so notice here this idea of one another. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. Paul is talking about it. This love of one another. Ephesians 4 and verse 2. And so notice in verse 1. Therefore, the, I, I therefore, the prison of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. He's talking to the Ephesian church here. And notice what he says in verse 22. With all lowliness or this, really this humbleness, this humble frame of mind, and I cannot emphasize how important this is to the saints. Uh, the idea of a frame of mind that is filled with humility. My granddaughter, who's sitting to my right, knows this word, because it's our word, isn't it, Jordy? 
What do we talk about all the time? Humility. Since she was a kid, I told her that. And we've talked about it. The importance of not seeing yourself as being more than what you really are. And this frame of mind that you have to have that you see yourself as being just like any other believer. And so, with all lowliness and notice and meekness, with long suffering and notice, forbearing one another. And how is this forbearing meted out? By means of love. And so you can have situations that we're all different as believers. We like things differently. There's different things. That we're, and none of these things have to do with sin. It's not a sin to eat chitlins. And me and Miss J, we do it all the time. I mean, we love them, right? And somebody, and I've heard gasp here, you need to forbear. <laughs> well, there's different things that people like. There's different things that people do that has nothing to do with sin. They're not doing anything wrong. It's just not what you would do. Right? And what do you do? You forbear. And what causes you to be able to do that? Love. Agape love. And so, notice, forbearing one another. Now, let's just put this. So if you say that you're supposed to love everybody, let's just use this verse as an example. I would like you to go out there and forbear with everything the unsaved man is doing. Go do it. Go. You want to love everybody? Here's a standard. Go forbear with everything the unsaved man is doing. Do that. If you're going to do it, go all the way with it. Don't just give lip service to it. Take it all the way. It's not possible. And when you see it, you understand this is craziness that is being taught. And the people that are teaching it, they don't understand what love is. And so notice the la- uh, we have love is not dependent upon the response of others. Now notice in 2 Corinthians, we alluded to this, and you see it in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And so here's Paul. And if you know the Corinthians, and we did this illustration between the Corinthians and the church at Thessalonica, and I just think it's a, it's a stark contrast. You want to read a contrast between two groups of people that are totally going a different and opposite direction? Read First and Second Thessalonians, and then come back and read First and Second Corinthians. You know what's ironic is the, second, the, the Thessalonians were from an area where they were nothing but barbarians. So they didn't see themselves as all that. The Corinthians were from an area where there was a lot of commerce, a lot of education, uh, and they thought that they were just so smart. Right? And what did he say about the Thessalonians? They just accepted the word as it was in truth, the word from God. What did he say about the Corinthians? For they had become enamored with the wisdom of the age. And notice, nothing Paul could say to them mattered. They even looked at him with contempt. And so what does he do? He's talking to them in the first epistle because there's divisions in the church. He's trying to appeal to them to come together by means of love and using your spiritual gifts in the right way. He's exhorting them. And what did they say? Oh, Paul, you're right. Oops, we were wrong. We love you so much, Paul. Is that what they said? Well, you see what they said here. Notice in verse 15 of chapter 12. And Paul says in verse 15, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved by you. He's giving them every single thing that they need. But they're not reciprocating. 
Well, you see this with your kids, right? As you're raising your kids, you're giving them exactly what they need, but I don't think that I remember telling my parents, oh, thank you, Father. This is a wonderful spanking. And I know it will be beneficial for me down the line. Thank you, Mother, for this beating that you gave me. It's so wonderful. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> and so here Paul is dealing with this. This idea of the, door, the more abundantly, it really this though can actually be translated since also I love you or the more abundantly is it really it's a superlative degree. It, so it looks at the degree at which there's a consider, it's considerable and in excess of any of some point and it's off the scales. He says I'm going off the scales and giving you what you need. And what is their response? Notice, the less I be loved by you, this word is used only one other time in the New Testament to indicate the opposite of that which is better. Or really, you could say, the worse. The worse. I think in many times when this stops believers from really giving other believers what they need, because we get concerned that somebody's not going to respond. They're not going to give it back. I'm giving what you need and I'm the only one giving. What does it matter? What does it matter? You have a responsibility to the Holy Spirit when you're in a relationship with another believer to love one another. When we get to the beam of seat judgment, there's not going to be a curve there which says, oh yeah, yeah, right. I understand why you didn't direct agape love in that situation. That other person wouldn't give him back to you. Okay, we'll take that one off the marker. It's not going to be that. And you can see this with the Apostle Paul. He didn't lessen his love with the saints because of their lack of response. How many marriages are in trouble today among believers and I think that you look at the statistics and I think they say upwards of 50% of the believers are getting divorces why they're not the focus is on the other person what they're doing or what they didn't do and there's a responsibility for the saint to be able to direct agape love in any situation. You don't get a get out of jail free card because the other person is not responding. And the last thing that we see is this the deliberateness to love. And there's several words that we talked about here in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. This idea of consideration. In verse 24. Paul writes to the the Jewish believers. And so here you have these Jewish believers that were, at one point, they were spiritual and they were growing. But because of persecution, they became carnal and they became stagnant. And Paul was writing to them and emphasizing the importance of them um, meeting with other saints and how important it is. And so notice in verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and to good works. That word provoke is, or consider is actually it's the idea of to give careful attention to a matter, to look with discernment and so reach a proper conclusion as to focus or to take into account you know, that shows that you, you possibly, you have to be engaged. You're paying attention to what's going on with other saints. You know, how many times, and I know this probably not happened to you, somebody's sitting there talking to you and they're telling you, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I had this happen in my family. My mother died. My dog was taken away. All of this. You say, yeah, yeah, brother. Have a blessed day. I'll be praying for you. <laughs> we put the, uh, those are the words. You know, I'll be praying for you. Right? We make sure that we get that in there. 
and the opportunities that there are there to be able to give consideration. And in this situation, as to how to be provoked, to, uh, is actually the word for provoke, is actually to irritate or to stimulate one another to two things, and love and good works. In the word, you see that uh, agape love that is used there. And so consideration, and, and we talked about it, is distinction, distinct from perception. The word perception is the ability to recognize a situation by distinguishing one thing from another on the basis of understanding of the subject matter, whereas consideration is the initial directing of the mind to a subject that can result in perception. And so you have to actually be looking at what's going on. What are people saying? What's happening in their life? And how many times do we, around this great country of ours, everybody gather for church on Sunday, and we all come together, and we just do whatever it is that they call church, and then they leave. And there is no consideration to what's happening with the saints. Absolutely none. The last thing uh, on this is that the idea of walking in love, or walking by means of love, you see, we saw it in Ephesians chapter 4, and that we won't go back there, but toward peripatao, which is you actually conduct your life by means of love. Love is the conductor of how I walk in this, or how I operate in this life. It's not something that I take love and I just say, okay, I heard that subject matter. Let me put it on the shelf. It's done for the day. It operates everything that I do among the saints. That there's the opportunity to be able to use agape love in the lives of the saints. It's an active, it's an active agent in everything that I'm doing. From preaching. From meeting the need. Using your spiritual gift. It's not something that's passive that I take and I put under here and say, oh, I heard that lesson. Done with that. It's an active thing. In situations. In circumstances. You have to be engaged. I remember Scottie Pippen back some years ago after Michael Jordan had retired. They were playing a game and I'll never forget it. The coach asked him to go in the game. He says, nope. <laughs> he wasn't happy with the amount of touches he was getting with the ball. <laughs> he said, I'm not going in. You know it's where some saints are. They're in the game, but they're not engaged. Pay no attention to what's going on with the saints. Not engaged as to what people are saying to them. You know? My mother just died. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you see that game last night? Just totally out of it. And that's really, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really, really tragic thing to see. And then the last thing we'll see here, I thought the parapetao, but First Corinthians sixteen fourteen, what Paul says here to the saints, do all things by means of love. First Corinthians sixteen fourteen. So he gives his last commendations to the church at Corinth in his first epistle, and he says in verse ten, "Of Timotheus, come, see that you may be he may be with you without fear." Now think about this. Now was this because of Timothy, or because of the Corinthians, or both? The Corinthians were some tough people. If God had asked me to go into the church of Corinth, I think I might be like Jonah. <laughs> I go in the opposite direction. Lord, those people over there are spitting pastors up and swallowing them and spitting them out. I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> Timothy, he's asking them to take it easy on Timothy when he comes there. That he may be with you without fear, for he works the work of the Lord as also I do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto you. 
for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired to come him to come unto you. Notice here, I thought this is really interesting and as he wraps it up here. Apollos was a guy that was a great orator and the Corinthians loved him. Why did they love him? Because he was a great speaker. He came from Alexandria, uh, Egypt, where there was a lot of education. And being people who were educated people, they loved his oratory. But notice, I don't think Apollos was reciprocating it. He says, I ask, I, I, touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. But notice, he doesn't say it wasn't the Lord's will. I find it striking, he says, it wasn't his will. Was not to, at all to come to you at this time. Now, me being cynical, I'm thinking Apollos is thinking, I'm not going over there. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. Court? Nope. <laughs> I'm not going over there. But he will come, he will come when he shall have convenient time. Verse 13 Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. Let all things be done, notice, by means, or really you could say, in a sphere of love. Not just one thing. My whole modus operandi should be in an atmosphere when I'm operating with the saints from agape love. So as circumstances and situations come up, that maybe I in my own nature would say, I won't do that. Agape love gives me the ability to be able to put myself to the back burner and think about what's, in, what's necessary for the saints. What do the saints need? We are in a society that you need to put blinders on and direct your minds away from the insanity that you're seeing. A bunch of people who are totally self-absorbed. They're so self-absorbed in themselves that they can't see anything else. This can creep into the church and cause all kinds of problems in the church. The focus of the believer is not how the world sees it. They're self-absorbed and they're so busy trying to get what they can get out of the world. But the believer is others absorbed. Not absorbed in myself. Absorbed in what I can do for you. And every believer should have that same view. What can I do for the saints? Do you know people are trying to go out and the church is taking this whole thing of trying to go out and win everybody? It's all about trying to do evangelism. Do you know the best evangelistic message that the world can see is what the Lord said in the upper room? that believers are showing love one toward another. That's the best evangelistic message that you can put out to the world. John kept saying over and over, love one another. Love one another. He talks about agape love more than any other apostle in the New Testament. You look at his gospel, you look at his epistles, love one another, love one another, love one one another. Why? It's one of the most important things that believers can do. And when we fail to do that, the church suffers. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to go through these series of messages. It really awakens our minds to see uh, what your purpose for us is and that We can't accomplish those things if we don't have the basic fundamentals of what is necessary to accomplish them. And that's the 
love, the self-sacrificial love that we need toward the saints. And it's by these things that all men will see that we belong to you when we have love one towards another. Thankful for your word. It is as clear today as it was over 2,000 years ago. And we're thankful that it's a light in a dark world. And we're grateful for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.